often. Faith becomes more about who is in and who is out or about who belongs and who does not. But in order for spirituality to be good for anyone, it has to be good for everyone. In this podcast, we find incredible people using their faith and life as a catalyst for goodness in this world. Be inspired to discover your own goodness in order to make your life, your family, your community, and your world better. Welcome to the Chasing Goodness Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Kinzera, and it is great to be with you today. And speaking of today, today we're going to tackle a challenging topic, but one that we definitely need to talk about because it's a normal part of our world. There's really never been a time when I've been alive or when anybody listening to this podcast has been alive when this hasn't been a part of our world, and that is war. Of course, the one that's on everybody's mind right now is between Russia and Ukraine, and I'm not going to talk specifically about that conflict or specifically about any conflict, just much more a broad scope. We're going we're gonna to speak in broad strokes here, and I know this is a difficult subject and it could bring up all sorts of controversy, but I don't want to shy away from it just because of that. One of my biggest frustrations over the years in the context of church and and just conversations of faith is I would feel like we might have something really big going on in our world, whether that be a natural disaster or like a school shooting or, you know, just something really big that was on everybody's minds. And then you, you get to church and maybe it's mentioned really briefly in a time of prayer, but you know, there's never a lot of time that was given to actually talking through it and, and trying to understand, Hey, that thing happened in our world or that thing happened in our country. How do we, how do we think of this with our faith as a backdrop? So as we tackle this topic today of war, and again, not talking specifically about the conflict in Russia and Ukraine or specifically about any conflict, as we talk about in broad strokes, the concept of war, I fully understand that what we're going to engage in here today very controversial. And so there's going to be some things that I say that you may disagree with, and that's okay. That's, that's, you know, that's part of the beauty of the world is we can have different ideas on this. And so I want to encourage you just to, just to take it in and then, you know, maybe have some conversations with people in your circles and, and see what you think and see what those around you think. And again, I'm not interested in being right on this subject. I've thought a great deal about it. I've done a lot of research into it. It's taken a lot of space in my brain because it's so confusing to me and so horrible in so many ways to me. And so that doesn't mean that I have the corner on the truth because it's such a challenging topic. And again, when we lay it in context of our faith, and especially when we have a conversation about war in the Bible, it gets messy, it gets fuzzy, and it gets confusing. So we're not going to come up with a lot of answers today. I'm just going to share some perspective that I hope is helpful. We can only get so far in a 30-minute podcast, so let this be a little bit of an introduction to hopefully some deeper conversations that you can have in your circles wherever you are and whatever is on your heart and whatever resonates with you. Or maybe you're going to hear something today, you're like, no way, no way, no way, but how about this? Whatever it is, whether you agree or disagree with anything I say today, again, I just hope it helps you to engage in healthy conversation about war with a backdrop of your faith. Absolutely. 
One of the main reasons this gets really sticky for people of faith, especially Christians, I'm just gonna, you know, I'm just gonna speak to the native language I have. I don't understand a lot of the context of this within other religions, maybe just a little bit here and there, but let's just speak about it in context to Christianity, because that's the majority of what we talk about on this podcast. So one of the things that makes it really, really tricky is there's so many elements of war in the Bible. There's so much of it. There's so much of it in the Old Testament. And then we don't see a lot of it in the New Testament. But then once we get to the last book in the Bible, so when we get to that book of Revelation, it is filled with imagery of war. And so if you have spent a good portion of your life, maybe you grew up in the church or maybe you grew up a Christian or or in any way, if it's just a big part of your life and you've read the Bible or portions of the Bible, it's obvious that you've stumbled across passages about war. Again, most of that would likely be in the Old Testament. But again, that imagery is really, 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 really dense when we get to Revelation as well. So let's talk about war in the context, and again, broad strokes here, in the context of the Old Testament. When I used to read the Old Testament of the Bible, I used to come across these passages, and it seemed so obvious. seemed so obvious that God was allowing people or even commanding groups of people to engage in conflict, engage in war. And then if you read the Bible at face value, if you read it as literal— Then you also would, you know, which I did, I would read it and say, oh, not only did God tell or call those people to engage with another group of people in a war, not only did he do that, but he also put his blessing on one group and not the other. So he put his blessing on defeating them. And then it gets even darker and and stranger. And that is the point when there were times when not only Again, if we're reading the Bible literally, not only do we see God condoning and encouraging and calling people toward war, not only do we see God, (laughs) air quotes, blessing the victors in war, but we also see God condoning extreme violent acts against those who were being defeated, whether that was killing all the women and children, whether that was taking and plundering all of what they had, I mean, there's some really, really dark things going on there. And it's really difficult to want to serve that God. If I'm fully, like, just brutally honest, in my mind, if, if there's a God out there and that God condones this kind of violence against other humans, and not just wartime violence, but like going beyond that in what we would now call today as serious war crimes, because if you look at what, again, And um, this is so much of this is just quotations from the Bible or paraphrases from the Bible. So many times God would tell people to do things that today we would look at. And if we saw Russia doing any of those things in Ukraine, we would say that is a war crime. Not only is that a war crime, that's a very serious, disturbing war crime. Yet we read about it in the Old Testament and it's like, well, God did that. So God is all powerful. So we just have to go with it. Man, I can't tell you how difficult this has been on me over the years to, to try to try to come up with a way to understand God 
with that. And then, and then you take that toward the New Testament, right? And we, we see this Jesus who's supposed to be like God in human form. And that Jesus is very, very different, which we're going to get into down the line a little bit here in this podcast. So here's the way that I've <laughs> come to peace with this. If I don't know how else to say it. I have decided in my own life, and this is for you to choose as well, but I cannot get my mind wrapped around, nor do I even want to at this point, get my mind wrapped around the Bible being a book that some way is from God, and these people were inspired by God to write these things, and what they're writing down is the absolute truth. So this is that piece when we're talking about inerrancy of the Bible, inerrancy of Scripture, I can't get my mind around it. It doesn't make any sense to me. And this is one of those reasons why it doesn't make sense to me. It's this portrayal of God as this warmongering being, this God who is not afraid to just create all sorts of bloodshed and chaos. And to me, that just seems so contradictory to any any sort of understanding or experience that I have of the divine. Now, what I do is I believe that the Bible, and this is not my idea, <laughs> I'm not, this idea is not unique to me, but when I see the Bible and when I read the Bible, I look at it as, hey, this is just like me on this podcast. This is people, these books are from people who are also, just like I'm trying to do right now, they're also trying to understand God in their own context. And what they're learning or what they think they're understanding, they're writing those things down. That doesn't mean they're absolutely true. That doesn't mean what they're saying is right or true. It's just a great reflection and helps us to understand where people were at. So if we take that kind of context, it would make sense. For example, say you're an Israelite. It would make sense for you to want to at least believe that God is on your side. It would make sense for you to want to believe that God is with you everywhere you go, like all of us do, I think, on some way, shape, or form, right? And so then when there was something getting in the way, so take again, take the Israelites who believed that they were supposed to go from one place to another place. They believe that that's what God said, and they wrote down that that's what they believed God said. So if they as a community were believing this, whether it was true or not, I'm not here to argue that, but when you came up against resistance to that thing, then you would assume God would want you to overcome that resistance. So if that resistance was a battle or a war that was coming toward you, if you believe that that group of people was getting in the way of you, getting to that place where you felt like you were supposed to get to, it would be really easy to say, okay, obviously God is calling us. God is, is leading us into a conflict with this group of people. You can see how the logic would work here, right? And this is all hypothetical. These are just my thoughts. This isn't the, the truth, okay? And then when they enter into that engagement, when they enter into that war, then if they win the war or if they win the battle, wouldn't it make logical sense if that's how you were thinking to believe that, okay, these people were in the way of me getting to that place that I believe God is calling me to go to. And then when I win that battle, doesn't it make sense that it was God that helped me win that battle? And if the opposite is true, which often was the case, if there was an engagement, a military engagement, a battle, a war, and they lost, 
then it was obvious that God was not on their side or it was obvious that they did something wrong. To me, that makes so much logical sense. It doesn't mean that God is condoning war or that God is desiring war. It's just the perspective that people had in the time that they were living as they were trying to understand God. Also, keep in context the culture and the history of what's going on here. We have all sorts of religions at the time that were very much based on this concept of wartime gods or warlike gods or gods that would defeat or gods that would, you know, plunder or kill. And so that was the culture all around them, this influence of these gods that were warmongering gods. And so a lot of the groups of people that they would come against, a lot of those groups of people would serve these types of gods. And so again, it's not that far removed to have some sort of logical understanding of believing what they believed. But that does not mean that that is absolutely who God is or how God operates. It's really a very, a very narrow perspective of understanding the divine. And there was so much that way back then in Old Testament times, there was so much understanding that didn't exist that exists today. And so I don't think it's fair necessarily to take the words of people who lived in this time and place and experienced what they experienced. I don't think it's fair to automatically just put that on God. Again, unless you're going to view the Bible as an inerrant group of texts that were literally kind of put down here through other people by God, then of course, then you have a bigger problem. But I really struggle to allow that to coexist in my mind. So that's how I get through this idea of this, this God of the Old Testament seeming like this warmongering creature. If I look at it and I just simply say, that is uh, the understanding of an ancient civilization of people about their God, then, then I understand that just like I can understand it with any other ancient civilization trying to understand deity and understand relationship to the divine. It, it makes a lot of sense, but it doesn't make it true. So that was just a little conversation starter for you regarding the Old Testament and war in the Old Testament. Please know there are books written about this. And so... <laughs> We're not getting anywhere on a podcast. That's why these are literally just very, very surface level conversation starters. Just see if they get you somewhere in your in your conversations when you're talking about faith and, and war and things like that, <laughs> as if you're having those conversations on a normal basis. But I'm sure they're happening, right? Or I'm sure you want them to happen on some level. Now let's fast forward, as I mentioned, to the book of Revelation. So in the book of Revelation, again, we have a problem of how we're going to view this, how literal we're going to view this triumphant God coming back to save all of humanity, right? And there's so much military language that's included in the book of Revelation. And a lot of people who want to take this literally as if this is the story of God coming back to somehow recapture his people and overcome evil. Well, if you read it like that, then the only way to view God as, as and, and specifically Jesus, the only way to view Jesus in this story of Revelation is to view him as a warrior, is to view Jesus as this being that's coming down on a horse or the sword, you know, the, and, and it's like this, this battle to defeat evil and this battle not only to defeat evil, but defeat evil people. So again, 
This, to me, because this is specific to Jesus in Revelation, this one was almost even more difficult for me than the God of the Old Testament because we're specifically talking about Jesus here. So I read about Jesus when he's walking the earth, this beautiful, peace-loving, oh my goodness, right? Like everything we read about Jesus is so wonderful and peaceful. He's known as the Prince of Peace for crying out loud. And then somehow we're supposed to believe that that same guy, that same Jesus is going to come flying out of the clouds, ready to battle, like swords drawn, like we're, we're doing this, we're throwing down. It's a wild contradiction. So one of the two can't be true. Either that wasn't truly who Jesus was that we saw walking on the earth. Either that wasn't really Jesus. That was, that was some kind of just normal dude who got penned as somebody he wasn't. Or this crazy military Jesus coming out of the clouds is not real makes more sense to me that we focus in on the Jesus that was physically here, right? So we have documentation about what Jesus said, how Jesus lived his life when he was here. To me, that's so much more concrete than this Jesus that may or may not come out of the clouds one day, right? So let's focus on that and let's say, okay, that must be, that must be, if we're going to believe in this Jesus, that must be who he is and what he represents and how he lives and how he desires us to live. So then what do we do with this this wartime Jesus coming out of the clouds in Revelation? Well, again, here's the point. If we read it literally, we're stuck. We are so stuck with another wartime God, with another wartime Jesus. Just like the Old Testament, if we read it literally, we're stuck with a warmongering God. We just are. And so the only way I can find to get out of this is to really dig deep into the book of Revelation and to rethink maybe what it is. Sure, there's some there's some alluding to end times prophecies and things like that. And people get really, really excited about their end time prophecies. Let me tell you, so much money has been made by talking and writing about this. Here's the thing, though. There's a, a and again, we can only scratch the surface. There's a fair, beyond fair argument that what is really happening in the book of Revelation is John basically writing a coded language. All the disciples were killed for their beliefs. John was isolated out on an island. When he was writing Revelation, he was out by himself on an island, like put out to exile because of who he was and what he believed. So this this Christianity thing, this follower of the way thing, this following Jesus thing was not accepted by the culture and the governments of the time. And so if you wanted to talk about it, you had to talk about it underground. If you wanted to address what was going on in the culture and, and people coming against, like any way you wanted to talk about this, you either had to be in a quiet, hidden place talking about it when nobody was around you, or you had to come up with a way to talk about it that other people wouldn't know about it. And so there's some pretty solid evidence out here that that's what John was doing, that he was writing a document that, again, remember in the beginning of Revelations, this is for all the churches, right? And so there's pretty good evidence out there that John is writing this document to Christians in the time, in the culture of where they were in a coded language that they would have an understanding of, but that the government and those who are against them certainly wouldn't have, right? And, and I know if, if you haven't researched that, that might sound super far-fetched to you, but it's, it's seriously... <laughs> It's funny to me that that may sound far-fetched, but this wild Jesus coming out of the clouds at the end of the world doesn't seem far-fetched, right? There's other ways to think about this. Now, 
you can you can look into it yourself. You can believe me or not believe me about this coded language thing and about what John's intentions were. My only point is not to get you to believe that that's true or to get you not to believe that of the, the wild Jesus coming out of the clouds at the end of the world kind of thing, okay? What I do want you to consider, though, is the fact that there are more options than the one that seems to have been handed to us. The one handed to us was that this this crazy wartime Jesus comes out of the clouds and defeats everything in a military way, in a warlike way. Jesus wages war. It's the only way I've ever been taught about Revelation until a little bit later on in my life when I came across other ways to view this. This book, if you've ever tried to traverse it at all, it is wildly confusing. It makes next to no sense to the reader. And sure, there's people that try to dissect it and figure it out, and I don't think we'll ever have a complete understanding of what What's going on in the book of Revelation? People think they do, but I don't buy that for a second. The point being that because it's such a confusing book and because there's so many different opinions about what it means, to me, that allows me to rest a little bit and be okay a little bit with this description of Jesus and know that, hey, that could be totally symbolic. That could be, you know, something completely different than what I was taught growing up. And so again, I don't necessarily have the answers for you, but what I do know is there are other answers. So there's, there's some understanding of what could have been happening with the, the, the thought of this Old Testament God who kept calling people to war and kept calling people to slaughter others, right? There's ways that we can think about that and look at that and say, hey, maybe that wasn't actually God. And we can go to Revelation and we can look at, the wartime Jesus coming out of the clouds. <laughs> I wonder how many times I can say wartime Jesus coming out of the clouds in one podcast. So we can picture the wartime Jesus coming out of the clouds and we can say, hey, there's there's possibilities that there's something different. There's something that we're not understanding or there's something that's different than what many of us have been taught about that. So if we can look at that and say there's got to be something else going on here and there's some justification to believe that there was something else going on here, to me that brings so much peace. And again, if I just take away this idea that the Bible has to be literal, it brings me so much peace to know that, hey, actually I don't have to believe in this God that is so horrible. <laughs> I don't have to believe in a God like that. Because again, when we see Jesus on earth, and here's where this comes down to for me. If we're going to believe that Jesus on earth was in any way, shape, or form God, then we have to put so much stake in who that Jesus was and, and what he did while he was here. And let me just give you a couple of really obvious examples. There was a time when Jesus is getting arrested. You know, just a couple of weeks ago, we, we celebrated Holy Week and Good Friday, Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, Saturday and Easter Sunday, right? We just we just got past that. And so in that story, there's a time when Jesus is being arrested. And this is when he gets arrested and goes to the cross, right? There's a time when he's being arrested. And Peter, one of my favorite guys in the Bible, he tries to be tough, right? He pulls out his sword and he's, he, he chops off one of the servant's ears, which by the way, and this is one of the reasons why I like Peter. Cause I see myself in him so much. Like he wasn't man enough to pull out his sword and actually go after one of the guards, the people that were actually arresting Jesus. He went after one of the servants, you know? So 
Peter comes out like that's a that's wartime aggression, right? Like you're going to arrest my guy. I'm coming at you, but I'm not bold enough to go after you. I'm just going to. And I picture Jesus face like, what the hell are you doing right now? And then he heals the servant, right? He picks up, picks up the ear, puts it back on his face. Everything's okay. But basically tells Peter like, man, like chill out, right? Like this is not what we're doing. This is not what we're doing. And again, if Jesus is truly God, and then on some level, don't you think that if he wanted to take care of business there, he could have? Don't you think so? Like, so if that's really God, God can take care of business. However, God wants to take business. So he doesn't need Peter chopping off people's ears. So that's one place where we see a wartime Jesus could have showed up right there. And he didn't. Quite the opposite. He, he told Peter that's not where it's at, right? He told Peter we're not doing that. That is not what this looks like. And then fast forward a little while further, like, don't you think that if this in any way, shape or form if Jesus is actually God, don't you think there's a way to not get crucified? But he chooses, not only does he choose against wartime Jesus, he chooses peace. He chooses suffering. He chooses sacrifice. And yes, you could say that he had to do that to save us from our sins so we could all go to heaven. But I don't think that was the purpose of the cross. And I know a lot of people don't think that was the purpose of the cross. So if that wasn't the purpose of the cross, we have to rethink this whole thing. And the only logical conclusion is that Jesus chose not to be military in his actions at that time because he was trying to show us something. And part of what he was obviously, in my mind, trying to show us is that there's an answer that's stronger than military action. There's an answer that's stronger than violence. And that answer, which Jesus chose on the cross, continues to reverberate through the world to this day. The angry God that we see in the Old Testament, that's not what we're drawn to. The Jesus coming out of the clouds with fire in his eyes and swords coming out of his body, like that's, and I'll, I guess I'll just speak for myself. Like that's not the God I'm attracted to. The Jesus that loved people, that took time for people, that stopped everything he was doing to care for others. The Jesus that healed the servant's ear and told Peter, that's not what we're doing. The Jesus that showed truly what self-sacrifice means, that is what draws me toward God. That, and in so many ways, that alone is what draws me toward God. And so when we think about this concept of war, hmm, I think, I think we have to pause at any point when we think there's any such thing as, as a justified war, at least in context of our faith. Does that mean there can't be war in our world? Or I don't know, I don't know. But again, I'm just... I'm just putting this in context of our faith. I don't believe that we serve a God who is a God of war. I think Jesus shows us that the exact opposite is what is true. That's what I think. So again, I would love to hear what you think, but more importantly, I would love this to just start some conversations for you. 
and we could like we could keep going right we could talk about violence as a whole and that would lead to a whole nother conversation because i know i can think all day long that i am non-violent but if somebody tried to hurt my family i would get violent in a hurry <laughs> right as i'm sure a lot of you would as well but i i don't think that's what jesus stood for again hashtag that deal with peter and the servant in the ear and stuff like that right so we have to struggle with this. We have to work through this. We have to converse about it. We have to just think about it, work through it as best we can. We're not going to come up with all the answers. And I think maybe that's the, the piece of this as well. It's like we're, we're not trying to come up with the answers here. We're just trying to have healthy, meaningful conversations with our faith at the forefront. And we can do that without putting an angry God or a wartime Jesus in the forefront. We can actually do that by putting forward a peace-loving Prince of Peace Jesus, a sacrificial Jesus, let's put that part of our faith forward when we have the conversation and let's leave the angry God and the wartime Jesus in the rearview mirror because I don't think they represent God and I don't think they represent how we should respond to God working in and through our lives. All right, man, that was 30 minutes of Matt rambling about some, some pretty tricky and pretty tough things. And so again, just use it as conversation starters see what it does in your mind see if it it brings about some thoughts or ideas to you there's just other ways to think about this and so many times throughout history faith has been used to justify war i'm hopeful for a future where faith is used to condemn war because i think that's more true to the person of jesus than the opposite so i am so hopeful for a future where our faith is used not to condone, but to condemn war, violence, and oppression. Thanks as always for listening, especially this one with my ramblings. And as always, you can support this podcast by subscribing to it, give it a five-star rating, and writing a review. The website's mattkinzera.com. You can find me on Facebook and Instagram at mattkinzera. And until next time, let's keep chasing goodness together, even in the midst of the hard conversations.